This is Stephen Adams. And this is Kevin Dr- oh, sorry. <laughs> Kevin Durant. <laughs> You're Kevin Durant, mate. <laughs> good to see you, mate. Different complexion. Okay, let's go to you. So, this is Stephen Adams. And this is Anna's Cantor. You're listening to the Down to Earth. Down to Dunk podcast. What? Down to, down to Dunk. Down to Dunk. I'll down say that. Dunk. Introduce yourself, mate. Here's Stephen Adams, and I'm Anna's Cantor, and you're listening to Down to Dunk podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Down to Dunk Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Schlecht, and with me, Ben Gulliver of SI.com. Ben, how's it going? Great, Andrew. Uh, thanks for having me back. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Uh, let's talk about Russ. Russell Westbrook uh, is currently averaging a triple-double, and I think if he does average a triple-double, he has, he'll have a good chance at winning the MVP uh, in your opinion, how many wins does OKC need for him to do that? Do you even think it's possible? Where are you at on the MVP conversation? Well, I definitely think it's possible. Uh, I do think he's got some threats, though. You know, obviously the James Harden and Houston uh, train is sort of on runaway status at this point. I mean, they look unbelievable. And I think if they finish the season, you know, significantly above Oklahoma City, even if Oklahoma City like completely exceeds expectations and puts up like a monster win total, uh, I think that voters are going to look to Harden sort of as a makeup call from a couple years ago with Stephen Curry. They're going to give him the credit uh, for driving Houston success after a really tough year last year. Everybody loves the comeback story, right? Uh, and then I think they're also going to look at maybe the Rockets as playing this futuristic style of basketball, which is just sort of really easy to wrap your head around from a narrative standpoint. And I think that's going to be really hard for Russell to overcome. I think the other trick is with his triple-double is offense is way up this year. Uh, we're seeing a boom of individual uh, performances that are just remarkable. I mean, he kicked it off, honestly. He started this whole season off with that 50-point triple-double, I thought, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like letting everyone know, hey, offense is really going to be ridiculous this year. Uh, and it's just continued, not only him, but lots and lots of other players getting 50 points, uh, hard and putting up the, the crazy 50-15-15 line, uh, and some of these other individual achievements that we've seen. I worry that people might get a little bit numb to it by the end of the season. In other words, once Westbrook's got 30, 35 triple doubles, uh, does each individual one of those triple doubles start to mean less to people? That's my concern. I'm not saying it should, by the way. I think my argument is that uh, at this point, he's still no worse than second in the MVP race. I, at the quarter point, uh, I had him first. Uh, what's so remarkable is not just the, the triple-double, but the usage rate uh, and the impact that he has uh, on Oklahoma City's success. Uh, we've just never seen any player take on such a burden as Westbrook has this year and still produce at a very, very high level. I mean, there's, there hasn't been that fall-off that you typically expect when guys are uh, you know, using tons and tons of possessions. And it's showing in Oklahoma City's record. It's showing in their offensive efficiency when he's on the court compared to when he's off. Uh, And so from that standpoint, his case is very good. Uh, But I do worry he's going to kind of get nipped at the tape by a guy like Harden. Yeah, and and I think that makes a lot of sense. I honestly thought that Houston would drop off after Capella went out, that their defense would go to like bottom five in the league uh but somehow they just like i mean this is just mike d'antoni he's been doing this his whole career where he takes these guys like montrez harrell and he makes them into like 30 point scores like all of a sudden and he's able to really use guys in in really good ways so i'm not i'm not i don't think that 
you know, Harden is wrong or anything. I think one underrated thing about Russ is the way that Billy Donovan has managed his minutes. He's 21st in minutes played this season, tied with Justice Winslow for this, the amount of minutes he plays in a game. And he's doing this, uh, he's averaging a triple-double in 10 less minutes than Oscar Robertson did, which I think is really remarkable. And there's a lot of remarkable things about Russ this season, but I thought that the way that Billy's been using him has been good. And he it may be more sustainable than some people think, uh, just because they are able to limit his minutes. That's an absolutely excellent point. Uh, because, And it might be the most shocking statistic of the season. Because when I, you know, on July 4th, once I picked myself up off the floor, and uh, not to rub salt in the here, but you know, once you sort of kind of process the initial impacts of Kevin Durant's decision, mm-hmm. I thought, uh-oh, this could be a real bad situation for Westbrook where uh, he is going to have to play an insane number of minutes. And we've seen the guys around the league in recent years, like even a player like Damian Lillard, uh, you know, walk just way too many minutes in a regular season. Yep. And that was the, the consideration also when campaign went down. Uh, you know, it seemed like 38 minutes per night, 39 minutes per night wouldn't be completely out of the uh, the realm of possibility. Uh, but you're right. Uh, Donovan has shown really, you know, incredible impressive restraint. Um, and I think it's sustainable. I don't I don't think this is a gimmick by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, the only thing is, will he get tired at some point? Uh, and I don't want to be the person who bets on Russell Westbrook getting tired. <laughs> I know. And the thing that people think, would go down as his rebounds. And one thing that people don't really mention when they talk about his rebounding is that if you want to beat the Thunder, you get him into a half-court offense. And the Thunder know that. And so they have the best rebounding point guard maybe in the history of the game on their team. Let's box everybody out and let Russ get those rebounds so they can go. Uh, because whenever they're playing well is when they're playing fast. And they don't, I think they're like ninth in the league in pace and they could stand to be a lot faster. And they may get faster now that campaign is back because uh, they have a guy that doesn't dribble the ball up to his uh, shoulders every time and Samaje Christian uh, on the court anymore. But I think that the Thunder want to play fast and to play fast, Russ has got a rebound. I also just think rebounds are one of those things, uh, you know, especially defensive rebounds where uh, if you're really going for it, not necessarily like you're stealing rebounds, but you've just really committed yourself possession after possession to get them. Like they're there for the taking, right? Like how many times in the game are there like three different guys who could get a defensive rebound? Uh, and, then, you know, if you're Westbrook and, you're, and your mind is really focused on doing that and there are obvious, you know, basketball winning related benefits to rebounding. Uh, but if you're putting that kind of pressure on your shoulders and you're really sticking to it, you're really committing to it, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Now, clearly, it's difficult to do from his position, uh, but, you know, like I said, I, to me, what's more likely to catch up than anyone adjusting to Westbrook or the pace of play changing or any crazy stylistic thing is whether uh, basically the most tireless superstar that we've seen, maybe ever, but certainly during the modern era, finally hits a wall. I mean, I think that to me, that's what stops this uh, because he's shown now, you know, it's basically been half the season, right? Uh, he's shown he can do it uh, on a consistent basis. He's shown that, and also their record shows when he does it, it's good for them. Uh, you know, their record when he gets the triple doubles versus when he doesn't, I mean, clearly they need it. They're relying on him. Uh, and so um, to me, it's just sort of like, does he actually run out of gas? You know, is there a time in, in those dog days of uh, late March, early April, 
Uh, I think the other benefit that Oklahoma City could have, though, is that they could be in the mix for playoff seating, right? Like there could be every possible motivation to really gun for this, depending on you know, who they want to play and where they want to land. Uh, I guess one of my other concerns entering the season was, do they fall out of the playoff picture? But since the bottom has kind of collapsed from that bracket, they shouldn't have to worry about you know anything to do with the lottery. Uh, and they should be in a position to really gun for the highest seed possible. And uh, we've seen Westbrook in the past, you know, put on some incredible late season displays when other teams are mailing in games, uh, you know, when, when tanking teams are kind of playing for lottery position, uh, you know, that's when Westbrook, uh, you know, has put up some of his most amazing stat lines in previous seasons. So anyone who's, who's still skeptical uh, is really missing uh, the story here. I mean, this guy is uh, on a very strong pace to do it. Yeah. Well, one another kind of storyline that's emerging is his three-point shooting. He is averaging a career-high 34% from three. He's taken more threes than he ever has in his career. I think he's up to 80 made threes, and he had just just over 100 made threes in last year's regular season. So he's taking a ton more threes. Uh, I think it's been really good for the Thunder. Uh, there have obviously been games where he's like 0 of 6 and stuff like that, and the Thunder have a really hard time winning those games. But where do you kind of stand on Russ? taking threes some people before the season said he should do what Dwayne Wade did and just cut threes out of his game altogether but I don't necessarily agree with that yeah so a couple thoughts on that uh number one doesn't it feel like about 75 percent of Oklahoma City's games this year have come down to a three-pointer from him either like make or miss (laughs) I mean it's like going it's like the roulette wheel you know I mean and that's where you want to be you want to give your best player a chance to win the game right and he clearly is seeking out those moments and I love it uh, I think the fact that he doesn't have a true number two star or he doesn't have that Kevin Durant shadow to overanalyze and nitpick every single shot is good for him. Uh, I think that probably helps him mentally in terms of his shot selection. Uh, you know, I think that the long-term benefit for him adding a dependable three-point sh- shot, in other words, taking this career high, but really building on it, you know, getting it up to 37 which is sort of where it needs to be if, if you want to be the super high-volume three-point shooter. Uh, I mean, that is the only thing that's really missing from his game in a major way. Uh, and he's made progress on it this year, like you've mentioned. Uh, hopefully that pro- pro- progress will sustain and, and build going forward. Uh, because what we're seeing with a guy like Harden or Steph Curry or Isaiah Thomas in Boston is that if you have the ability to, number one, get all the way to the rim, uh, in a pick and roll situation, but then also step back and and hit that three off the dribble, or at least be a threat there. Uh, If you surround those guys with enough shooters, it's basically unguardable. Like there aren't defenses out there who have really figured out how to slow that down. And that doesn't mean Oklahoma city has got to completely scrap all these big bodies they've got and, and go a totally different direction. But it does mean if you add like an extra, you know, shooter or two on the wing uh, in free agency, you know, Westbrook, could be putting up even more insane numbers next year, not only because of his own shooting, but also just like the threat of his shooting, uh, attracting more defensive attention, creating more opportunities for his teammates. And then those teammates creating more driving opportunities for him. It's, it's kind of like a, a circle of life. So uh, I think it's a great development. I didn't see it coming. You know, I've definitely been someone in, in the camp uh, the last couple of post seasons where anytime he puts up a three pointer uh, late in the fourth quarter of a close game, you know, you, you kind of cringe a little bit. Uh, but uh, Dwayne Wade is a good example, and, and there's other guys. You know, everybody always points to Jason Kidd, uh, but I think Chris Paul has actually developed himself into a better three-point shooter over the course of his career. Like it can happen. It's one of those things that if you're as competitive uh, and detail-focused as a lot of these superstar guys are in the NBA right now, 
you can build that skill. You don't have to be born with it. Uh, and that doesn't mean you're going to get up to a Curry or a Clay Thompson level, but if you can get to league average uh, and you have the ball in your hands that much, there are a lot of positive benefits that come from that. Do you think you can be a superstar guard in this league and not shoot threes? Uh, you can, but it's difficult. You, I mean, you got to be blessed with a body like Giannis, right? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much how you have to do it. You have to be the best guy at collapsing defenses and getting to the rim. I mean, that's basically what it boils down to. Uh, and also finishing at the rim, by the way. And I know some of Westbrook's critics really harp on him about, you know, some of the missed layups and so forth. Uh, but, you know, he's getting the free throw line so often. He's creating so many opportunities around the basket, whether it's second chance opportunities and so forth, that to me, that's not a super valid criticism. But yeah, if you just can't shoot at all from the outside, you, ha- you better have the quickest first step. You better have an unbelievable strength uh, going to the basket to draw contact, and you better be a really good finisher in traffic. Uh, you better have all those things. So something like a guy like DeMar DeRozan, uh, you know, his second weapon will probably be, you know, his, his mid-range shot, uh, but he also gets a lot going to the basket. Uh, you you kind of have to have that type of skill set if you don't have the three. But by the way, I would take the guy who could shoot the three over the guy who could shoot the mid-range all day long, and I think the numbers and uh, the recent trends kind of bear that out. Yeah, just these point guards that can't shoot, the Alfred Paytons, the Ricky Rubios, oh, yeah. Rondos. I mean, like, you can Rondo, barely put them on Rondo's the floor. Rondo's yeah, exactly. Rondo's the perfect example of that. And I kind of use this analogy. It's sort of like him and Rubio, you know, they're kind of running up a treadmill, you know, for these last couple of years, but the treadmill just keeps on picking up its speed faster and faster and faster. And eventually they just fall off the treadmill uh, because the three pointer has just gotten increasingly more important year after year after year. And if you're a non-shooter, uh, the book's out on you and the damage that you do just by standing on the court, your team's offense has just really picked up. Uh, and actually that was one of my biggest concerns for the, uh, for us this year was that he wouldn't trust three point shot. It's not that he would put it away. Like some people maybe were, uh, your readers were suggesting he might, uh, it was more that he wouldn't trust it. And so that he would compensate by driving too much too often, uh, and get himself into those out of control moments. And, you know, that's going to happen every once in a while. Uh, but their offensive efficiency has been high enough so far this season, especially when he's on the court where I don't think he's getting, He's not running into those brick walls quite as often as I expected. And, um, you know, that's one more reason why you can say, hey, this guy should be in the MVP race is that, uh, yes, he does it a little bit differently. He's not this traditional uh, Steph Curry type point guard that everybody expects, but his way works too. Yeah, let's shift gears. Let's talk about the trade market. So trades are starting to heat up. Kyle Korver has already been traded to the Cavs, and Paul Millsap's been rumored, uh, and lots of trades. I wanted to go through the Thunder roster and talk about the trade value that each player holds. And I think that we can kind of play it as like a positive or negative trade asset in that maybe the baseline is a mid-first-round pick for this player. So if the Thunder put this guy on the market, could they at least get a mid-first-round pick? And I think you can already take three of these guys and say that for sure you could with Russ, Oladipo, and Adams. Uh, We haven't talked about Adams or Oladipo. What are your... What are your kind of opinions on both those guys? I don't think we really need to touch on their trade value, but what are your thoughts on those two? Yeah, they look like building blocks to me. I don't think that, you know, there's there's much trade talk to be had with Adams. I love the contract they gave him. I know it's a lot of money for a guy who kind of came out of nowhere, but um, he earned it uh, for sure, and I think he's a solid piece. He, he seems to have a nice uh, two-man chemistry with Westbrook on and off court, which is huge. You know, when you're talking about who are you going to pay kind of max-level money to, uh, you want to make sure he gets along with your main guy. That, that definitely seems to be the case. 
Uh, and I think he's got a ceiling, you know, if not all-star ceiling, then all-star snub conversation ceiling, you know, sort of like where DeAndre Jordan lands every year. I think that's probably where Adams is going to wind up when he's in his prime. Um, and, you know, there could definitely be a case where he just, the fan vote decides to love him one year and uh, just because he's quirky and funny. Uh, obviously, you know, he puts up pretty solid production uh, and he could sneak in as an all-star. But, uh, you know, from that standpoint, I think he's there long-term. Uh, heck of a draft pick and really amazing developmental work again yep. uh, by the Thunder you know, organization. With Oladipo, um, you know, like we were just saying with the three pointers with Russ, I mean, it, it does maybe get a little bit tight with him and him and Westbrook, uh, staggering those guys makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, in terms of do you pay him or do you let him try to go the, the Dion waiters route and risk it? I mean, there was definitely going to be huge interest in him next summer. Um, I thought that was a pretty wise investment. I liked that trade a lot for them when they did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought they pretty much, you know, fleeced Orlando. Certainly they're not the first organization to do that. <laughs> By the way, that, that doesn't even seem really that fair. It's like St. Presti's like, you know, he's kind of like, you know, rotting his little brother there, uh, Hennigan. <laughs> like, that, that should be allowed. Like, if you have, if one of your uh, former assistant GMs goes and runs an organization, he runs into the ground for three years, you shouldn't get to make trades with them. That doesn't seem fair. It's like, you know, uh, <laughs> It's like it's like like back in the day when I would charge my brother, you know, like six dollars for a baseball card, and I know it's worth two dollars. I mean that's you know, unethical. <laughs> but uh, I think they're fine with those guys um, as their core. It's not a perfect core. You know, it's not like you know uh, Russ, Katie, and Ibaka when they were younger. You know, in terms of how well those guys complemented each other. Uh, but it's a solid core, and it's held up. You know, I mean, there's been a pretty good amount of drama for this Thunder team. I mean, no campaign. They're shifting gears, playing all these young guys in the front court, and the record's held up great, you know. And Oladipo, I think, missed some time too, right? So uh, that tells you a lot about Westbrook, but I think it also talks about those second guys, uh, secondary guys as well. Yeah, Victor's fit a little bit better than I thought he would because his game is he's kind of like Russ Light in a lot of ways that he likes to take shots in the mid-range and he likes to drive. Uh, but he's been a really good spot up three point shooter. He's thirty seven percent on the year, and he's almost at six attempts per game. So like he's been shooting the ball much better than I had anticipated, and that might be because he had never um, he had never played with a good point guard before, and he's really benefited from playing with Russell with Russell Westbrook. But uh, I've been I've been impressed. I think that he's a, a really good player. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about is Demonis Sabonis. Do you think that he's a positive or negative asset on the trade market? Oh, positive asset for sure. I think you got to factor in anyone who's productive on their rookie deals right now uh, and looks like they're a fit sort of where the league is going, for sure. I mean, I think he's outplayed probably his, his draft position already. When you look at the rest of that class, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, like he's not that far out of the rookie of the year conversation. I mean, obviously it's going to go to Embiid, but when you look at like the actual class of 2016 guys, I think he's among the more productive members. Uh, he's a guy I liked in college. Uh, I didn't watch a ton of college basketball, but just kind of seeing the pre-draft stuff, uh, and you could tell he was going to stick. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that he would be considered an asset for sure. And I also think he's not. He's like one of those like fake untouchable pieces, you know, like I could see them maybe in some way, like putting him into a deal for like some incredible superstar coming back. But I think he's just one of those guys where he's young enough. uh, He's shown enough early 
uh, and he, he just seems to understand like kind of role wise, like he's not going to ask for too much. He's not going to do too much, but he's still going to give you something in his minutes uh, where you like to keep those guys around, especially when you're paying peanuts compared to like, you know, the average veteran uh, starting salary, you know, like what he's probably making like 2 million bucks a year or something like that. Yeah. And there's going to be guys who do less that are probably getting paid like 12 or 14. So from that standpoint, like no brainer. Yeah. What about Cameron Payne? I know he's only he's only played one game this year and didn't play all that well last year. But what what's your kind of opinion on him? Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He's a really nice guy. I did an interview with him uh, last year, and you know, friendly. Uh, everybody sees it in the dancing. I think he he kind of gets known for that more than anything on the court, which I don't always love when that happens. Uh, and yeah. I kind of wish people would get judged based on their game instead of their personality. But uh, I think he's got some talent. I, I think. Uh, we haven't seen it yet this season because of the injuries. And so he's one of those guys where if you're a rival executive, you know, there's probably not a lot of trade value there right now, but you know, this summer, like you could be a lot more intrigued in him. uh, If he shows that he can stay healthy the rest of the season, he shows that he's moved past the injury and he can still do the shooting and a little bit of the offense that you would hope for. I don't see a gigantic ceiling with him in terms of like, is he going to be a big time starting point guard? Uh, I'm not sure I see that. Um, Oklahoma City's had some you know, pretty good our talent over the last five years. You know, I wouldn't necessarily even put him, uh, you know, near the top of that conversation. Uh, you know, whether you're comparing him to a guy like Richie Jackson or something like that. Uh, but I, I think you know he was drafted to play a small role. I mean, kind of a niche role, and that role has very quickly expanded. And I think that could be one of the biggest storylines say of the next three months for Oklahoma city is how much, you know, how much of a role can he fill? How big can you make that role where he's still giving you positive production? Um, because they need it. And, you know, it's very clear when Westbrook's off the court, the first half of the season, like their whole offense falls apart and the numbers get really ugly. I think their offense without Westbrook was worse than the Sixers offense this year. Like it would have been 30th, uh, 38th in the league. Yeah. Uh, a guy like Cameron Payne can fix that, you know, and, and let's see if he does. So the trade that won't die for Oklahoma City is the Cameron Payne plus whatever cap filler uh, for Rudy Gay, and I I hate that trade. I don't I don't understand it. I'd rather see kind of what Cameron can do for the second unit, like you talked about. I think that he could really help because uh, he can run a pick and roll and he can shoot. And then I, I don't really see the Rudy Gay fit. I don't really know what he'll even get paid next summer, and do the Thunder want to pay him? I I don't understand the trade. What are your thoughts on? on trading Cameron Payne for Rudy Gay? I would not do that ever, uh, for sure. I mean, besides all the questions that you've raised, I mean, I think just big picture, like, is Rudy Gay good? Uh, and I think the answer is no. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, agree. <laughs> how, how, how much does he change your outlook? I mean, I think Oklahoma City's best case this season, I, I think if we're being fair, it's like they win a, a first-round series, right? They, they get the right opponent. Uh, they sneak to one of the better seeds. They avoid the big dogs, and Westbrook wins the series. Uh, you know, he, he's the best player in the series. They win a series. Uh, Rudy Gay is not a guy who's going to get you the Western Conference Finals, just period. Uh, and and actually, more likely, he's a guy who could drop you three seeds in the playoff order. <laughs> so uh, we've seen, you know, at his previous stops, Toronto get better without him, Sacramento get better without him. That, that's not a direction that I would go. And I certainly wouldn't be putting any young assets into that deal. Like, if Sacramento just has to unload him because they have to unload him and there's not much of a market for him, I could understand, okay, maybe like a future pick that's protected, 
uh, or, you know, just some random guy at the end of your bench who, you know, you got to move salary. Kind of like what the, the Cavaliers did, you know, okay, like, hey, uh, you know, we'll put a Mo Williams or a Mike Dunleavy Jr. in this in this mix for Kyle Korver. You're not really getting anything of value. Uh, if the question is, does campaign still have value? For sure. Like, he's still young enough and still unproven enough uh, in terms of, like, the minutes he's been given that I don't think you, you toss away that for a guy who everybody knows what he is and, and what he is isn't great. And in, especially from the rental perspective, you know, it's like, is he going to resign in Oklahoma City with lots of teams and lots of really dumb owners have tons of money next summer? I'm not sure. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. And I've been beating that drum. There's a lot of people in Oklahoma City that look at Rudy Gay's numbers and they're like, oh, well, yeah, we'd love to have a, a small forward that can score that many points and do those things. But I don't think people understand like the possessions that he uses and the, the kind of shots that he likes to take. And I, I don't know. I'm not a fan. Uh, well, here's your counter to those people. I'll just tell them everything that you think about Carmelo Anthony in terms of you know not playing defense, not showing up in the playoffs, and so forth, like multiply that by ten, and that's Rudy Gay. <laughs> and here's a here's a great stat. Do you know how many career wins uh, Rudy Gay has appeared in in the postseason? No. In his entire career, he's he's played in three wins, three playoff wins in his entire career. And so this guy, you know, at, I'm looking up his uh, page right now. He's 30 right now. He's been in the league basically since he was, you know, it has been a decade, uh, more than a decade in the league, and he's won three playoff games. So, uh, you know, Kyle Singler has a more sterling postseason record right now. Than, yeah. um, let's move on to Ennis Cantor because I think he's one of the more interesting guys on this roster and whether he's actually a positive or negative trade asset. What do you think? Yeah, that's a really tough one. Um, I think he's having a pretty good year. Uh, I'd, give him, I, I'd say that. Um, I don't think he's untradeable. Like, when that contract first happened, there was a lot of noise of, oh, like, this has huge backfire potential. I kind of thought they were in a position where they had to sign him to it. Uh, I think he's, he's done a good job of doing his job, what he was brought on to do. Um, which is a recurring theme, actually, with these Thunder role players, by the way. Is they, they do seem to like find the niche, and whether that's coaching or whether that's personality or, or whether it's communication for management, maybe a little combination of all of them. Uh, I could see there being a market for Ennis. I don't know how strong it would be. Uh, and part of the reason why is just there's so many other bigs available, and there's so many other bigs where offense is their strong suit and defense is their poor, uh, their poor spot. Um, that he would just sort of be a victim of saturation almost. Uh, there's a lot of teams who are just stuck with those kinds of guys. And uh, and so from that standpoint, I, I don't think he would get a very impressive return for Canner uh, if he was on the market. Yeah. Uh, and he's also one of those guys where w- with his number and sort of how he's fit into the, the Thunder's kind of culture, I'd be really surprised if he was moved at any point really over like the next 18 months. Yeah. So I think a guy that you can compare, or guys that you can compare him to, uh, Jill Okafor, Greg Monroe, Nick Vucevic. Uh, how would you rank those four players? Who would who do you think is the best of those four? Greg Monroe is having a really good year. Uh, he's shown that he can do a little bit more defensively than I thought. 
so I probably put him uh, a little bit higher. I mean, Kanner or Vucevic, to me, you know, I probably prefer Kanner's flavor of just being a little bit better around the basket than Vucevic. Vucevic is one of the, you know, all-time popcorn stat type guys. You know, it's just like empty calories and uh, really no correlation to winning. Who was the fourth one you mentioned? Uh, Jalil Okafor. Oh, yeah. And Okafor, I mean, he's barely an NBA player. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I should be nicer to him. I, I, for you some reason, kill, I you do kill him time. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I might have Kanter like right now. Uh, I mean, obviously, you'd rather have Okafor on his number, Kanter on his number, just yeah. because it's like a third of the cost or, you know, a quarter of the cost. Um, but if you're talking about like who do you want on a contending team, who's more ready to contribute and kind of gets what they're supposed to be doing and is more helpful. Uh, and actually, I think Kanter is less clueless on defense than Okafor is. So if I had to rank him, I think I'd go Monroe, then Kanter, then Vucevic, then Okafor. Uh, as long-term assets, I think you got to move Okafor up that just because his contract is a lot better. And also, Philadelphia is almost like even worse than Orlando in terms of like screwing their guys over and getting basically anything out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Embiid is like the first guy they even made look somewhat decent, and that's more credit to him for just being freakishly good than it is their system at all. So there could easily be a situation where someone trades for like Okafor or Noel, and all of a sudden they return to looking like an NBA player, and you're like, holy cow, like what happened? Uh, and then you realize, oh yeah, it's Philadelphia, the most dysfunctional environment in the NBA in five years, kind of uh, submarine their value. So to answer your question, long story short, I'd have Canner right now, two out of that four. Okay. Uh, to kind of piggyback on that Sixers talk, Jeremy Grant uh, was traded to the Thunder, and he's been really good. He can play three positions for the Thunder. I think he's hitting like 38% of his three since he's been here. Uh, he's blocked a ton of shots. Uh, what's your I – don't, I don't really know what – I don't know that he would have much trade value, but what's kind of your opinion on him as a long-term player? Well, I think that, uh, well, we just saw what his trade value was, which is whatever Oklahoma City gave up for him. You know, I mean, that, that is the trade value when you get moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of, like, does that improve now after how he's played? I don't think it's meaningfully changed that much. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, a move like the Grant move is, once again, a reflection on your best players as opposed to him, right? Uh, and the structure that is created when you have a superstar who takes all the attention, has a high usage, uh, sets the tone, sets the personality for your team, gives you a direction and all those things that we can all trace back to Westbrook pays off uh, with a guy like Grant because he's just going to float forever and just be completely hopeless in Philadelphia for the rest of his career. You know, like if that was just it, you know, he was going to be that guy that nobody really talks about every once in a while. He has an amazing dunk. Fantastic. Uh, now he has an opportunity uh, in Oklahoma city to kind of contribute in his own way. And, and maybe it's not the biggest role, but certainly I would guarantee he's a lot happier now than he was six months ago. Uh, and again, that a lot of that goes back to uh, the structure and and the influence of a superstar player. Uh, I don't love him. I mean, he's interesting. I can definitely see why Presti liked him because just the overwhelming athleticism and the like shove it down your throat aspect to him. Mm-hmm. Really, I think it's one of Presti's fetishes. You know, like I think he he wants sure. to kind of like. You know, and wants to choke you out on the court. Like that's sort of his thing, uh, which is so funny because it was personality, you know, but uh, I think he's in a good spot. I'm not sure that he's, he's increased his trade value a ton, to be honest. Uh, Cause I think people would look at what he's doing and say, well, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he should be playing better and, and being more productive 
uh, in a better situation. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily change who he is. Yeah. Uh, next guy, Andre Robertson, he will be a restricted free agent this summer. He's one of the best five perimeter defenders in the league, probably. And maybe one of the bottom five wings on offense in the league. Uh, what, what is your opinion on Robertson? I also want to kind of hear what you think. What it, what will his contract look like this summer? So just give me like all things Robertson that's in your head. Yeah, well, actually, I was wondering because you asked to do this podcast like right after that uh, Rockets game. So I was wondering if we were just going to do the whole podcast on his block about uh, Harden <laughs> late in that game. So, I mean, we, we would just talk about that for an hour. Uh, that was a ridiculous play. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of like, I love it when guys do that on national TV games, like at late in games, because then you know everybody's watching. And it's like, oh, yeah, this guy who everyone's made fun of for his three-point shot is really good uh, and is definitely somebody you want to have on your team. Uh, in terms of his contract, oh, that is a tough one that I have not really put a lot of thought into. Um, I mean, certainly it's going to be above average starter price uh, because I would I would rather have him as an average starter, especially the way the league is going, because I think you can really shift him into all sorts of different positions. Uh, you can get really creative. None of that Oklahoma City necessarily would have to, but like if your other teams looking at him. Uh, you could talk yourself in, into being your power forward, mm-hmm. you know, in certain alignments. Uh, and now all of a sudden he's just out there as before, but he's defending the best perimeter guy. And he's, he's, uh, you know, switching pretty cleanly between any of their perimeter stuff. Uh, and he's giving you the space. Like his three point shooting is not really hurting you because he's just playing power forward. Uh, I think teams could do that potentially, especially if the league kind of keeps going as it is. Um, I don't know. I have to get back to you on the price, but I think it would be, uh, you know, not as much probably as Oladipo got, mm-hmm. uh, but probably not as as far behind Oladipo's price as you would expect, if that makes sense. And that's Oklahoma City is going to have a that's a big decision to make too to invest in him long term. Uh, when you're, I mean, you're basically just locking into this roster the minute that you do that, so. Uh, that's a. I think it's a tough. I think it's gonna be a really tough decision. And I also wouldn't be shocked if they traded him at the trade deadline, just because Presti doesn't like guys to get to restricted free agency. But that'll be that'll be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think the the sell that you make it for the Thunder is like, look, you would not be an NBA player if it wasn't for us. <laughs> you know, yeah. like we we really groomed you and you lean hard on that, and that sometimes works. Like you just kind of never know with the guy, like. I mean, Giannis, of all people, gave the Bucks a huge discount, you know, and kind of along those same lines. It's like, dude, like, you're arguably like, you know, I'm going to be a top 10 player this year. Like, why are you leaving a single penny on the table? Uh, so you never know if you can kind of play that card. And then also you can kind of play the, like, look, you know exactly what your role is going to be. You know it's going to be successful. You have all these same teammates who you've been around. Uh, we can grow together with this core. Uh, we're guaranteeing you playing time. Like, Oklahoma City, you have a lot you can kind of offer a guy like him where he might not necessarily know that if a team like the Nets or the Sixers or somebody who just has crazy cap space, like throw some insane offer at him. Um, but then also if you're Oklahoma City, you can, you can try to go the Portland route, which is pay everybody to keep them and then maybe try to trade them down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Portland right now, it, it looks a little bit dicey because a lot of those contracts are really ugly and they haven't been able to trade any of them yet. Uh, but I don't think the end of that story has been written. Uh, and you know, if you're Oklahoma City, uh, to me, like he's in terms of the most important pieces, and in terms of fit around Westbrook, 
he's really close to the top of that list. You know, I probably have Adams as the next most important player, but he's in the conversation for like their third most important guy. Uh, If I was Presti, I'd be very strongly inclined to keep him at almost whatever cost it takes, but I'd also be trying really hard to drive his price down. Like I'd be leaning on him like every day, like, Hey, we got you a new parking space. Like it's right (laughs) next to Westbrook. So like, we got your favorite drinks in the, uh, in the locker room now, you know, I'd be doing everything I could from that standpoint. Yeah. They've got to, I mean, the Thunder at some point have got to get the Danny Green discount with some of these guys. Cause they, I mean, obviously they haven't been able to keep everybody and the way that Presti likes to build his teams with these young assets, I don't know. It's just tough because those guys are going to just keep coming up and they just can't pay all of them. Uh, and Robertson is a super interesting case to me. Ben, thanks for coming on the podcast today. We'll follow you on Twitter at Ben Gulliver and read your stuff on SI.com. And we'll talk to you later, Ben. All right. Thanks a lot, man.